0: Hey everyone and welcome to Pixels. This is the show where we cover news from the video games industry in the past month. I'm Patrick Beja and I think there's really maybe one story uh, that has dominated the past month and uh, it, it is not stopping. So we're going to cover the release of Cyberpunk 2077 and the Issues that ensued. Uh, And then I think I'm going to go over my games of the year, which uh, hopefully uh, should be a little bit interesting. And there is also a number of small stories, which I guess we'll run over (laughs) quickly before we get into the big one of Cyberpunk. I, I really don't think there's anything else that is super massive super important um maybe the game awards are something i i can try to cover quickly but it was you know what let's just get started i think the the in the small stories uh the con- confirmation that halo infinite is coming out in, in in the fall 2021 is uh something to be noted um it, it Certainly, especially in the wake of Cyberpunk's release, feels like the right move for Microsoft to uh, <laughs> to have chosen. Um, it does impact the the sales of the Xbox Series X and S. I think not right now because now they're you know everything is flying off the shelves um, on both next gen consoles. But I suspect that uh, when things settle down a few months from now, maybe they would have sold a little bit more if Master Chief had been on the box. Well, I guess he is on the box of every console uh, because that's their branding. Um, but if the game was available, uh, that being said, when it releases in the fall and they've shown some new updated graphics that are very different from the uh, you know semi-disaster uh, that was the initial presentation, um, it should live up to the expectations i hope uh, graphics wise at least and we still don't know what the game is and you know the game as a service rumors around it have not been confirmed we don't know how vast and ambitious it is so i'm looking forward to that um there's a, a very good numbers coming out of uh, the sale of the release of shadowlands um World of Warcraft Shadowlands has sold very well, become the fastest selling, uh, quote unquote, PC game of all time. Uh, those numbers, you can arrange them a little bit, but it's usually what they do is that they take either the 24, the first 24 hours or the first weekend. And uh, World of Warcraft and Blizzard games have been cons- consistently, consistently beating that record I know because I was writing the press releases when I was at Blizzard when every time it happened um, or translating rather I should say or yeah Uh, but uh, it's certainly an achievement and a noteworthy one Um, there was uh, and still is a lot of questions about Blizzard's ability to deliver compelling games and certainly the delay of Shadowlands has been a little bit of a concern for many but not only did it sell well which you know it takes into account all of the uh pre-sales but it also as as they often do for these things but um it also seems to be making the the gamers happy the world of warcraft players happy which i'm not of for the first time since the game has launched essentially uh, because I'm just too busy and I have too many things to do and too many games to play. Um, oh actually I am going to be talking about Diablo Immortal which I have been playing quite a bit. That is the um, the iPhone and Android version of Diablo which is in Alpha, uh, early test Alpha I got access to and uh, surprisingly good. I'll talk about it later in the show. But uh, the point is Blizzard is uh, kind of at a a turning point or deciding if they're going to be turning the point or staying on the straight line. Um, And this is, you know, something that wasn't a given. It is, however, a little bit... um, I don't want to say disturbing, but again, noteworthy that uh, Activision is essentially... Activision Blizzard is reducing uh the headcount at blizzard uh for you know i've talked about this at nauseum, so i'm not going to go over it again um but they are reducing the headcount and uh, when they're making a lot of money with that release doesn't change the fact that they don't have a lot of releases over the you know past five years and or four years and potentially next one or two um but still you know it's it's kind of dissonant to hear we have the fastest selling PC game of all time and at the same time we're firing people. Uh, Again, there are reasons for it, but it doesn't make it, you know, more fun to hear. So, yeah, I wanted to note that. Um, What else? What else? Uh, There's a ton of tiny little pieces of news I'm not going to go over. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room, um, and that is Cyberpunk. So, the game has been, had been delayed many times, um, and when it finally released on December 10, it came out to mixed reviews on PC and horrendous reviews on PS4 and Xbox One. The game is broken, kind of broken, let's say buggy. The game is buggy on PC with, you know, an amount of bugs that seem to be beyond what we're used to when an ambitious game comes out. And on PS4 and Xbox One, it is beyond buggy. It is, I think it's fair to call it broken. Um, to the point that something absolutely unprecedented happened, I believe it is unprecedented um microsoft and sony have uh uh, said that they are refunding anyone who wants a refund no questions asked that's not the unprecedented part that has happened a handful of times before but the big thing is that sony is actually has removed the game from their online store that i don't think has ever happened in that way it is so badly designed and received and built that they have removed it from the store. Of course, you can still buy a physical copy if you want, uh, and people who have bought it can still play it, but it is not possible anymore to purchase Cyberpunk 2077 uh, on the PlayStation Online Store. And Microsoft hasn't gone that far. I mean, they have a very significant partnership with... um, with CD Projekt Red, a commercial partnership, I mean. And uh, so that might play a part into that. But still, how... There was a lot of controversy around the the, the release of this game. A lot of people were very excited about it. And as often happens in the gaming communities, it created clans and people who were unhappy about the fact that reviewers were not giving it the scores or reviews they were they wanted to see um now we're realizing and those people seem to be realizing the criticism was warranted and even worse uh CD Project Red has had not given the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions to the journalists reviewing them until the day before the release. Those journalists had had the game on PC about, let's say, a week before release. And so they were led to believe and they were grading the game on the PC version, which is, again, buggy, and everyone noted that, but nowhere near as broken as it is on old-gen consoles. And by the way, the game runs much better on next-gen consoles, uh, even though it is the old-gen console version. The next-gen version won't be out for months. Um, But the fact that they didn't provide the PS4 and Xbox One versions to journalists until the day before, when essentially the tests uh, were uh, kind of already out. Not really, but kind of. That is... Maybe there's a slight slim chance that there's a technical reason for it. Maybe they were working on the old gen versions until the last second, and they were hoping that they would fix everything. That seems extremely unlikely. Mm. And to the point that I would be comfortable saying there is an ill intent in the way things were done. They didn't show the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions running on the old gen consoles. They run better on uh, the upgrade old gen versions, like the PlayStation Pro, PlayStation 4 Pro, and Xbox One X. But on the base versions, which a lot of people have, um, they they don't run well. And those were not shown. Um, they weren't shown. And intentionally so, I think, because they knew they weren't good. Um, and they weren't shown to journalists until it's it was essentially too late. And that is you know uh, potentially legally actionable you know there might be a class ac- action class action lawsuit um levied against CD Project Red we'll see i wouldn't be surprised uh they are refunding everything to everyone who wants to now so maybe there's less cause for that but um i do think that the goodwill that they had built with the the Witcher 3 has been squandered. Like the goodwill they had built in the last five years has been squandered at least partly in a week. I I, I would say completely. I don't think anyone will trust a game by CD Projekt Red next time unless they, um, you know, show it entirely to everyone a week before it's released. Uh, And I think there is an abuse of trust Uh, in that, in the way they did things, in a way that is unprecedented, or maybe not unprecedented, that's a bit of a strong word, but certainly uh, difficult to remember in, you know, in recent memory. Journalists judged the product on the version they were um, provided with, with the caveats that they hadn't played the, the other versions, but also the expectation that it might be a little bit buggy, but it would run uh, reasonably similarly. And that is not unreasonable expectation to have. Certainly red flags everywhere, but usually like it's, it's reasonable to expect that that would be the case. That is usually how it works. And usually you see a little bit more of those things and CD Projekt Red had goodwill. So there was no reason, no real reason, of course, in hindsight, uh, but no real reason to doubt them. And that is, I believe, on them. Um, Certainly, the hype for the game was a little bit, you know, it, it was on everyone. Like, the community got so excited about the game, and the marketing was very, you know, it was a strong AAA biggest game of the year marketing campaign. That is to be expected. Um, the the community was very excited because they loved the CD Project Red um, to an extent that I've often said on the show is and was, I guess, you know, history has proven me a little bit right. I thought the love for CD Project Red was unreasonable. Um, they don't have the same constraints and the same, uh, you know, same imperatives that other publishers have and I've always felt that what they do in their you know we love gamers and we do everything for gamers it felt a little bit like I, I felt a lot of people were falling for the uh, marketing spin of a company that is still a company even if they love gamers still a company that is there to make money you know just like any you know, company that has, that is or has been uh, in their history gamer-friendly, certainly there's a gradient there. Some companies are gamer-unfriendly and some of them are gamer-friendly, but all of them are companies that are there to make money. And I include in that, uh, you know, discussion, my former employer, Blizzard, at their height, when they were beloved by everyone I was still saying, you know, they're a company. They're here. And and the best way for them to make the most money is to make the best games they can. And I think that was genuine and, and probably good, but they were never not a company out there to make money. And the same applies to CD Projekt Red. They were never not a company out there to make money. And make money they did. Eight million games sold um, in the first weekend. And sure, some of them will ask for a refund. And sure, the... Um, issues that are significant and you know i don't want to minimize that are have uh, 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 have affected their stock price but they made a lot of money they're going to work on uh improving the game and the stock pri- price will re-bi- rebound 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 <laughs> will um uh, will get back up again um and they the i, I guess that is why they didn't want to push it further. They had to release the game when the old gen consoles were still a big thing and people would buy it on those consoles. Maybe if they had waited six months, which is the amount of time the game seems to need or maybe even more to get them in a in a decent state, um, it would have been too late. And so they made the financially right call and that is not unexpected. I think what is unexpected is the ambition that CD Projekt Red has put into that game that they did not have the shoulders for. Um, They had... They're a relatively small studio. Well, I mean, inexperienced studio, I should say. They had one big open world game, The Witcher 3. The other two were definitely not as good as the first one. And from that, they went to the most ambitious game in history almost. Not quite, but a very, very, very ambitious game uh, that tries to be so much for so many different types and genres and stuff. And it doesn't, you know, a lot of people have been saying they're having a really good time with the game. A lot of people, especially on uh, very beefed up PCs, have been saying, oh, the game is great. The game is fun. Um, I'm loving it. It's the best game I've ever played. Some people have even said, or at least it's my game of the year. And that's very fair, Um, but it is not, exactly what they seem to have set out to make um a lot of limitations a lot of uh you know mediocre elements to the game and yeah it's it's a mess um i guess i've i've rounded up all of my thoughts on it so much i guess the main thought is so much goodwill squandered in one week and maybe they're going to pull a um Hello Games on this, and I'm saying I'm saying Hello Games and not uh, No Man's Sky because I'm really thinking about the company. No Man's Sky, well, Hello Games has worked on No Man's Sky so much, so much beyond what would have made the initially broken game acceptable. They they brought it to an acceptable level, and they kept working on it for years until it became an incredible product. And I think it affected uh, the company's perception even more than the game's perception. Or I guess more importantly, it affected the company's perception. Because I think a lot of people who were very angry with Hello Games back then have seen all the efforts they've made and they say, okay, we're good now. We're, you're, you know, you've, you've bought yourself back, you've you've brought yourself back into my good graces. Maybe CD Projekt Red is going to work so much on Cyberpunk 2077 and and do so much free stuff um, that people are going to like them again. But I don't know. It's such, I don't know if there was a solution. Maybe the game would have taken, as I was saying, six months or a year extra to bring it to a good level on uh, PlayStation 4. But the thing is, CD Projekt has hidden, has lied to a lot of people. I don't think Hell Games or really most companies don't lie to their customers on that level. And, you know, I'm the guy who just said companies are there to make money. don't love companies. At the same time, you know, you have to be a little bit measured in your estimations. Companies, people know what the games are before the release dates. Um, any, think about any broken game um, that has come out famously in the past few years. I would argue even Fallout 76, you kind of knew what you were getting into. It was broken, first of all, it wasn't as broken as Cyberpunk 2077 on PS4 and Xbox One. Um, it, it, but also we kind of knew people had had reviews, people kind of were disappointed. You know, before the release, we knew uh, Anthem, we had had a beta. Now, we didn't know to what extent it was going to be like that and the systems were going to be, you know, badly designed, but we, we kind of knew a lot about it. Avengers, again, nowhere near as problematic, but there was a beta. It showed the game. People had the, the, the game tested and so on and so on. Bethesda has famously been putting out games that are, you know, have a bad UI, have many bugs, et etc. et cetera. Not to the extent that this one does. And again, usually comp- companies don't lie like this. Hiding the PS4 and Xbox One version until the day before release is calculated, or I don't see how it could not be calculated. Um, and we hadn't seen those versions in any marketing material. So, of course, in hindsight, we understand why, but it is, to me, much more problematic than it has been for most companies that have had problematic games in the past few years. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, That's disappointing, for sure. Um, Let's talk about the Game Awards. Uh, There were a lot of announcements Not a lot of massive announcements, Um, but the thing to note is that the Game Awards, which is Jeff Keighley's big award show for video games, which is the Oscars of the video games industry, uh, or has managed to pull itself into that uh, spot. Um, there wasn't a lot of focus on the awards. That was kind of funny. Um, The show was pretty well produced for a show that had to go offline given, you know, 2020. Um, And there were some quirks, some interesting quirks, like the applause and and stuff like that, even though there was no audience. But I understand why they did it. It was more like I'm noting more than criticizing it. Um, There were a lot of, uh, you know, famous people and stuff like that, but... The the awards were were very often uh, expedited, <laughs> and um, and and the biggest spot was left for announcements and world premieres and stuff like that. And out of those, there are a number of notable ones, but I'm going to focus on just a few. Um, the first one would be uh, BioWare announcing, you know, showing a new trailer for Dragon Age Four and for uh, Mass Effect 4, I guess, because it's not Andromeda. Um, So there was a little bit more information in the Mass Effect trailer, most notably the fact that um, you will have two kind of... The two galaxies are shown, the Milky Way and Andromeda. So it indicates it will probably be a sequel to both, like the Mass Effect trilogy and Andromeda, which was very poorly received, so it could be a way of, you know, evacuating that um, game. But aside from that, nothing. No gameplay, no actual uh, uh, extended anything. Like, you didn't see the games, you don't know what they are, you don't know how they work, you know nothing, especially for Dragon Age. And I have, it's not even a pet peeve, I think again this is, I wouldn't go as far as to say dishonest. But it is an easy trick. It's tricking people. You're getting people excited for something that is maybe not vaporware, but certainly nothing concrete. And I really don't like that. Um, if you show a release date, maybe. Like you, you say, this is the game we have. Uh, we are announcing it. It will be coming out on that year and start getting excited. Okay, that's cool. Um, if you show, you don't have a date, but you show something, gameplay, or, you know, explain what the game is going to be, uh, Blizzard often does that. They, they announce a game, and not only do they have gameplay um, on top of the fancy, shiny uh, uh, CG trailer, they also have gameplay, and uh, they often usually have a gameplay demo at BlizzCon. Um, I'm wondering how that's going to work for BlizzCon Online, by the way, in February. I want—I wonder if they're going to have, uh, you know, some kind of maybe even a game streaming partnership uh, to get at least one demo for one game available to everyone or to people who buy the BlizzCon Online um, private pass thing. Uh, I wouldn't p- put it past Blizzard, Blizzard um, to monetize that because they always have even back when people, everyone loved them. Uh, you know, they, they've they always made money on everything they did. But um, so bottom line, Blizzard shows you the game. When companies do this and only show a logo with no date, I find it, or a logo or a CG trailer or just a, you know, tiny trailer that really shows nothing. I find it distasteful. Um, I'm not above getting excited for a game, of course, and I understand that some people are excited for a new Mass Effect, but no date, no nothing, I don't like it, and I especially didn't like it uh, with uh, uh, Bethesda when they showed... They announced Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6, and I've mentioned this on the show, because it was just logos. And that was to make people accept the fact that the game they had to show was Fallout 76. And that was a trick, and it worked, and it annoys me. All right, other things at the Game Awards. Um, Crimson Desert, I guess, is a game that was unexpected and really impressive. Uh, Pearl Abyss is the developer, it's a Korean developer, um, and they have had a lot of success with Black Desert Online, which I haven't played, but I know of because it's very successful. And um, they have, you know, pushed a lot and it's an MMO and Crimson Desert is not an MMO anymore. It was initially announced as an MMO, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is how it looks. It is jaw-dropping, gobsmacking, incredible looking. It is so pretty. It is like next gen. Oh, that's next gen. All right, now I'm on. I, I'm I'm in. I, I'm on board. Um, it looks incredible. It is a single player, or actually single player with multiplayer elements, um, open-world expansive adventure role-playing game. And it looks like the vistas and the environments and the characters and the combat. Just YouTube Crimson Desert. It looks really, really good. And uh, I believe it has a a release date. It is this year, isn't it? I think it is. Um, So there you go. You have a a lot of... Wait, I'm going to make sure I'm not saying... uh, Okay, I'm not seeing a date here sorry yes 2021 on pc and on some consoles we guess it is the next gen consoles because no way that can fit in old gen um in old gen so it looks really good and it was really impressive other than that a few announcements uh back for blood which is by the creators of left for dead of course i'm excited because i love left for dead uh you know is it Turtle Beach, I believe. It's coming out on the 22nd. Turtle Beach is the developer. Um, It it looks so much like Left 4 Dead. I'm wondering if it's, you know, not going to be forgotten a weekend after it comes out. Because it is literally the exact same thing. Like, their new thing was, oh, there's one new monster, which is a giant zombie that's 20 foot tall. Okay, great. Yeah, that's, you know, one thing that's different. Um, and I loved Left 4 Dead and I love Left 4 Dead. It is quite old at this point and gaming, I think, has evolved a little bit. So I wonder, maybe it's going to be super cool to go back to simpler times when we just needed a party of four friends and zombies to shoot in the head. Maybe, but I wonder. We'll see. Um, Sephiroth is coming to Super Smash Brothers Ultimate and that has Twitter, That has made Twitter crazy. It's kind of fun and cute. Um, And yeah, there's a bunch of other things, but nothing like too groundbreaking. Um, So I'll stop there with the Game Awards. Um, The other thing I wanted to talk about was the Games of the Year. Uh, I'm going to run through my list of Games of the Year and... It has really been, again, one more time, an incredible year. And the five games are absolutely worthy of the top spot. It's just so, it just so happens that there are even better games on the list that take the top spot. So my five games are a Final Fantasy VII remake, um, which such an ambitious thing to do. One of the most beloved games in history to rethink, bring into the modern era and chop up into several different episodes, have so many expectations against you and still succeed. Now, the game is not perfect. It's a little bit too long in the tooth. I think I actually didn't finish it. Um, It's a little bit too long in the tooth. Um, It has some unnecessary elements but it is so well done so fun um and uh, yeah i think it's it's a really great success for square in a place where i think they this the deck was the dock the deck <laughs> that's the one was stacked against them um because of the aura of final fantasy 7 so i'm looking forward to final final fantasy 7 remake part 2 Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, I played it on PlayStation 5, and what a fun game. Um, of course, it's basically Spider-Man from 2018, uh, but it is a new game, so technically I can't <laughs> put it on my top uh, five. Um, it is such so much fun. Um, it is a badass superhero simulator. And it feels like you are achieving so much as Spider-Man, Miles Morales, as, you know, you're so cool as Spider-Man. And it is a little bit different from the 2018 one, but because of the new powers and the, you know, all of that. Um, but it's it's really just being Spider-Man is so fun again. Um, it is so pretty as well, PlayStation 5, even though it's a, the beginning it is really real Purdy um, and the the thing that puts it over the top though I think is um, the story and how well written and even emotional it is I think that was a surprise for a lot of people in the spider in you know in the original one in the 2018 one did I say twenty seventy seven a couple of times <laughs> been thinking about uh, cyberpunk too much so in the 2018 version, um, it was, that was surprising as well, the writing and the emotional aspects of the story. And they do it again here, uh, just enough that it's, you know, that it's well done. It's not overdone. It's not, you know, too much. It's just what you need. Um, and the way the open world is constructed with care, and even though it is a very classic open world formula, it has enough that uh, is brought in at the right pace. You never feel overwhelmed. Everything is fun. And um, the the, the duration of the game, the length of the game is perfect as well. I think it's like 12 hours uh, for the main story and maybe 25 if you want to do everything, maybe a bit more. And that is absolutely what I need nowadays um, because I work too much and have a child. So yeah, that that was such a good game. Um, Ghost of Tsushima. How could I not mention it? Again, a, a, a slight variation on the open world formula, very Assassin's Creed esque, um, but artistically, such an achievement. Uh, Assassin's Creed Japan is a success, <laughs> um, and and what's really cool is that it's respectful and a lot of Japanese creators and and developers and you know the public in general really appreciate the game um and that's i think a testament to uh, to to sucker punch's mastery in making that game artistically i've never seen that many strands of blades of grass moving in the wind and uh the the way the light of the sun falls on the plains And the light goes through the trees. It's such a beautiful, beautiful game. And that is what we expected. I think what we didn't expect was a compelling gameplay element that is faithfully or somewhat faithfully transcribing the fantasy of a samurai. Uh, That is always so tricky to do, and they managed to do it really, really really well. The the gameplay systems aren't perfect. Um, The different stances kind of feel the same for different types of weapons. Won't go into too much details, but still, even with those slight caveats, everything about this game is pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, game of, one of the games of the year for me, for sure. Hades. Um, Hades is perfect. I I think Hades is perfect. I think it's the perfect video game. Um, I cannot think of anything not complimentary to say about that game, um, and it's not a, oh, I love this game so much, it's so perfect, it's so incredible. No, it is objectively everything is skillfully and intentionally done and designed and finds success. Um, not only is it a an incredible roguelite, of which there are many nowadays, there are many really good roguelites, but it also has... Um, you know, and combat is often very good in roguelites. This one is incredibly good, but that is maybe in a category that others also excel at, uh, often. Um, it has graphics that are super compelling music that is like in the top tier of any, uh, piece of art musically that you find in video games, um, It has voice acting that is incredible. You have a story, and that I think is the most compelling aspect of this game. It has a story that unfolds pretty perfectly over the course of your roguelite die and retry from the beginning experience in a way that has almost never been done. It is... That, you know, has innovation in that. And you have little nuggets of story that come to you as you progress through this part and that part. And as you meet that character, maybe before that other character, and as you die in that way, and it makes you feel like you are playing one continuous game instead of dying and restarting all the time, which is obviously what you do in a roguelite. Um, What a video game. It is incredible. Like there are a lot of games that I love and some games I feel are incredible video game experiences. This one is an incredible video game. Like it is the essence of a video game put to its best, uh, the best it can be. I love Hades. Uh, It is no doubt the, one of the best games of 2020 and very possibly one of the best crafted games ever made. So what tops that? <laughs> um, of course, it's the last of Us part two. If Hades is the perfect video games, um, how do you make some how, how is there something that I think is better? Or you know, that I prefer? Let's stay subjective. Um, it, the last of us part two had an incredibly tall order, like many games that I'm talking about here. Um, It is, it had, it's the follow-up to a game that was groundbreaking a few years ago, and it had to do something that was on that level. I feel they exceeded it. And it's a little bit difficult to talk about without spoiling, so I, I, and I'm not going to spoil it. I think I have a way of talking about it with spoiling absolutely nothing and still convey why I think it's the game of the year, and to me, actually, the game of the generation. Um, I, so if you've watched my YouTube channel in French, if you want to learn French, that might be a good way of doing it. I have a YouTube channel, uh, well, youtube.com slash... Not Patrick, as you would suspect. Uh, I talked about this, but so if you've seen that already, I apologize, I'll be repeating it. But um, most games rely on gameplay or narration, the narrative. Uh, I'll, I'll include in gameplay everything about, you know, actually being interactive in this medium, which is very different from other medium because of that interaction. Um, the... the Main difference between movies and books and every other form of art and video games is that video games you can interact with, and the manifestation of that interaction is gameplay. And gameplay is usually where you find the qualities of a game, usually. Um, you have qualities and design and uh, pleasure that come to and from gameplay. And the other aspect is Narration. The narrative and that's the story again with a very wide sense um if you have like a, a mood a an ambiance uh you know something that the game is makes you feel uh an environment i include that in the narrative for the purposes of this conversation so you might have a you know a walking simulator quote unquote or uh, you know a, a game that tells a story very heavily and that would you know, rest on the narrative for the most part. And of course, you know, all games are between the two extremes. Most games, unless you're talking about like actually a visual novel where all you do is press a button to advance the story, that is probably going to be closer to a a, a novel, which is why it's called a visual novel. But uh, most games are going to have you know, some measure of both gameplay and narrative. Even games that are very much gameplay, like fighting games, for example, they insert some kind of narrative somewhere. And, you know, like the Street Fighter lore and the Tekken lore are part of it. A small part because they rely on gameplay mostly, but there is some narrative. Um, And uh, of course, as I was saying, the walking simulators often have a little bit of gameplay or decision-making at least, um, and that is on the gameplay part for me. Uh, in, even puzzles, you know, they are gameplay for me. They're not like the narrative. They're not the, the part of the, that narrative aspect. Getting back to The Last of Us Part Two, of course, it does rely on both very heavily. I mean, gameplay is very important. The narrative is supremely important. What it does, though, is that it creates something different and new with the video game medium, in that it forces you to do some intellectual work. It makes you think about ideas and beliefs that you might have, maybe looking at them in a different way. Um, And that is something, I think, which has not really been achieved to that extent, at least, before. That is something really new. Um, The the example that comes to mind when I think about this and and thinking about something somewhat similar is Shadow of the Colossus. And that makes you think about why you are doing what you do. But it's kind of a relatively small part of the game. Um, And and it's not the main intent of the game. The Last of Us Part II is designed to achieve that goal, I feel. And it uses the other elements that are traditional to video games – the gameplay, and uh, the narrative to achieve that. And what's really interesting to me is that it does it by taking away some of the interactivity of uh, the game. In The Last of Us Part II, you don't have a choice in how the story unfolds. Usually in games, when you try to create as much choice as possible to lean into the interactivity and the, the gameplay, and you get people to... The more they can choose to kill or spare someone or befriend or seduce or, you know, uh, uh, betray or the more choice you fit into a game, usually the better that game will be regarded. Because, oh, my God, we have this thing where we can do anything we want. And, of course, that's something that is, you know, commendable and we really love. But The Last of Us Part Two does something different forces you down one path. It's not even that it forces you. There's no other path. There is a story that is being told. And you are going to be following that story. And at that point, I think some people are going to say, oh, but why wouldn't you make a movie out of this? And, of course, The Last of Us Part II is not a movie. Because you do... It is a video game. You do play as the character that is living through that story... You do move the joystick, you do press the button, you do interact with the world, and so there is an equivalency that is created between you and that character, and you become them as you would in any other video game, maybe a little bit more, a lot more engaged because the story is so heavy and, and the narrative is so important. And you get into the skin of that character because you're playing as them, and then, because of that, when it puts you in front of the story you and, and maybe some things you disagree with or you wouldn't do like that, you are forced to examine them and you are forced to think about what you did and, you know, go to your room and think about what you did. You're, you, you're put in front of it. And of course, the game, as everyone knows, is very violent and that's part of it. it. It forces you to look at this and question, you know. Is this right? Is this what I would actually have done? Because you don't have a choice. You do it. And so you're forced to question it. And that's how far I will go, um, because I don't want to get into spoilers. But the way Naughty Dog and Neil Druckmann use the medium of video games in The Last of Us Part II, beyond the technical achievements, which are many, and beyond the fun of the game uh, and the enjoyment of the game, which is maybe the enjoyment is better a better word than fun, um, which is plentiful. They use the medium of video games in a way that I had never really seen before. And that is, you know, stands up to me. And to me, it is an unmitigated success. And following up on The Last of Us 1 with something that is, in my opinion, even better on its own is incredible. And that goes deeper into that exploration of what a game can be, is incredible. And uh so yeah, it's my game of the year and game of the generation probably. It's it's amazing. Um all right, and last thing I do want to mention, uh my the game that snuck up on me. It's definitely not in a best of the year list, but I really liked it. Uh it's Haven. And Haven is available on, I believe, most platforms, uh, but it is on Xbox game, Xbox game Pass. So since we don't have a lot of exclusives on Xbox, might as well give it a try uh, because there's not a lot else to do. I'm joking. Um, but it is such a, 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 an enjoyable experience. Um, Haven is barely a game, very light gameplay, almost a graphic novel, uh, uh sorry a visual novel not quite there is some gameplay uh, but almost a visual novel and it's all about the zen like experience of being that couple in love it is the first time i've seen the the a relationship a healthy loving relationship described showcased in that way um it's two characters in a sci-fi setting uh, that go through a story there is a story uh, and it's pretty well written and pretty well brought into uh, the the perception of the player there is definitely some interesting stuff happening there um it's kind of an exploration game a little bit with light combat and um light crafting and little bits of everything to make it a game but mostly it's about being with those two characters, uh, you and Kay, and enjoying their loving relationship and their playful early stages. Not, not early, early. They didn't just met. They are in love and they're comfortable with one another and you're with them. And it's zen and cool and relaxing and it's just again, something pretty unique I've never seen anywhere else, and uh, just enjoyable. I think it might be the most enjoyable game I've played, just that you you play it and you feel good. Um, It's really worth trying, especially if you don't have to pay for it. It's called Haven, and uh, it's actually made by a French company, the Game Bakers, and they made Fury before that, which was a boss rush, what a change of pace. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Haven is my last, like, the game I would like to um, note as something interesting to check out. Haven. Finally, I will talk about Diablo Immortal. Um, Diablo Immortal is the phone version of Diablo. Diablo. I've talked about it at length with, with Scott on, um, on The Instance, so if you want a deeper conversation about that, you can go check out that podcast. But the game was announced at BlizzCon a couple of years ago and not received very well. People were expecting Diablo 4, and through a pretty staggering amount of mismanagement of expectations at BlizzCon... Um it they got Diablo Immortal. <laughs> um, I, I'm not gonna go over that part again. But people have decided that they hate it because it's not on PC and because they think mobile is not for them. And I'm here to tell you: yes, it is a mobile game, but it's a damn good one. Um The way they have taken the pieces of Diablo 3, disassembled them, and brought them back into a gaming shape on a phone, adapted to the phone in many, many ways, is pretty impressive. Um, This is definitely Diablo 3 adapted to the phone, but not in the way that Diablo 3 on PC was adapted to consoles. It's completely rethought as something that should fit on the phone. Things like controls, of course, are different and work really well after, you know, I'm not a mobile gamer, but after maybe 10 minutes, I was comfortable enough to play well enough on the phone that I would want to play more. And that's obviously, you know, the controls are key. So if that doesn't work out, then you're effed Um, and it does work out. And of course, they've taken a lot of time to make sure that it does. It is really compelling controls-wise. But they've also included a lot of things, like like changed a lot of things, like game session time. You can play for a few minutes and uh, get something out of it. Uh, you can also play for many, many hours and get something out of it. But overall, it is very well designed. And I have been playing that game um, well beyond the point that I had to to talk about it intelligently because it's in my pocket. You know, it's always with me. And initially I thought, oh, well, that's nice. If I'm out of the house, then I have Diablo with me. And that's going to be really cool because I always have Diablo with me. But actually, I'm playing it all the time in the house, um, even though I do have, you know, my PC just there and my console right there, because it's just in my pocket. And, you know, I have a kid, I have a lot of work, and I don't have as much time maybe as I would like to jump into a full game. And this is right there and it's made for short sessions. It's really fun and I'm always getting something out of it. And as I've said on, on, in many different places, it's not mini Diablo. It's not Diablo for kids. It's not like or for children, for babies. It's not Diablo light. Like, you know, uh, it's not really Diablo, but it's on the phone, so it's okay. It is Diablo. It's like a full Diablo experience, full Diablo fun, full Diablo badassery, but on your phone, working on your phone. So yeah, okay. I think I've praised it enough that you understand how much I like it and how good it is. And hopefully that encourages you to abandon maybe some preconceptions that you have that make you think, oh, I don't like games on phones. You haven't so far. It doesn't mean you can't. There's nothing inherently, you know, dislikable about phones that make the piece of hardware incapable of, you know, running something that you like. That's not how that works. Maybe there's something that runs on the phone that you're going to like. It hasn't happened yet. And that you know, it has been a while. So maybe you think, well, it's never going to happen. There's no way that, you know, to be sure that it will never happen. And I think Diablo might be something that is uh, not for everyone. Of course, some people are not going to like it because of course, um, but I think a lot of people who are initially grumpy are going to think and try it and think, all right, this is actually pretty good and even though I was I was saying oh even if it's good it's on my phone so I don't want to play it I think some people are going to go well you know I have it in my pocket all the time and so I like that Um, the analogy I make is the the best camera you have is the one you have with you right It, it might be your reflex camera that's in your drawer But the thing you actually take pictures with is the camera in your phone, because you have it with you all the time. And that's what Diablo is. It's with you all the time, wherever you are. So Diablo Immortal, that's what it is. Okay, it is a great game. What about the monetization? (laughs) That's, of course, the second important question. And don't have a full answer for you yet. I do have some concerns. Um, it's impossible to know what will happen at endgame. And it's still an early technical alpha I was invited to. It's a private closed alpha. Um, oh, by the way, you can't play with a controller. That's not what it's for. You, you know, it's to play on a smartphone screen. That's what it's designed for. But... Um, it's it's ve- it's an early-ish build and it's not balanced. There are a lot of systems, a lot of UI. It's actually a bit confusing in the way mobile phone games can be. Um, a lot of ways to get rewards and a lot of click there and press here and now do this. It, if you're a Diablo player, you'll understand what it means. But I mean, what the the things you do in the game on mobile means, but it is still a little bit you know, mobile e, um, not to the point that is deterring, but you, you will notice it. And on the monetization front, I'm not certain of what it's going to mean at the end um, when the game is released. So the monetization schemes are, there are several ones. One is a, a battle pass, which is, you know, to be expected. Battle Pass. You know what it is. There is a system where you can play rifts, which are, you know, essentially rifts, you know, in Diablo, which are are randomized uh, dungeons that you also have dungeons in the game, by the way, actual dungeons that are five to 15 minutes long. Uh, But the rifts are about five minutes as well. And um, you can enhance the rifts with what they call crests. You can get crests through regular gameplay, but you have legendary crests that uh, you can get by paying for them that add rewards to the rift. Uh, The rewards are legendary gems and gems, just like in Diablo, you can improve um, by having duplicates of them. So, that will give you more of the legendary gems that you improve by, you know, combining them. You can not do that on legendary gems on Diablo PC, but you can in this one. Um, and so getting legendary gems through that way, guaranteed legendary gems, means that it's going to accelerate your progress if you pay for it. Um, similarly, you can improve items. And at some point they get affixes if you improve them enough. And the affixes are random. But you can buy a, a, a reforged stone that will focus the affixes. So instead of having a random pool of 100, you'll narrow it down to a hundred pool of 10. Uh, sorry, a random pool of 10. So again, if you want this one affix that is the build that you need, you know, the one you need for your build, it's going to be a lot easier to get it if you pay for the reforged stones. All right. Uh, last part is uh, materials, gems and uh, crafting materials you use to upgrade your items. Those uh, you can buy from other players on the marketplace. And it's not like the Auction House. They were very adamant that it's not like the Auction House because something very important I haven't mentioned, every item you get, you have to loot. It's all as they call self-found. So they're not monetizing the game by selling you a weapon uh, or a piece of armor or anything like that. You cannot buy gear in the game. But um, I'm, in my playthrough, I haven't had enough uh, crafting material to upgrade a single item to the max level of that item. And you can transfer upgrades from item to item. So it is a very long-term uh, play, the upgrading thing. It is very long-term. Um, but if it is, you're very limited in the amount of uh, crafting material you find, you will be incentivized to go and buy it um, to you know, uh, increase the level of your items and be comp- competitive with the highest level people on your server. Um, oh, yeah, it works in servers, by the way. It's not like region, Europe, US, Asia. It's servers a la old school Warcraft, which is a very strange choice, I think. But uh, they say they have plans to f- to foster communities through servers, so you will know the people on your server, and that can be kind of cool. But at the same time, if you have a friend on another server then they will not be able to um, play with you, which sucks. So choose your server carefully. Um, but yeah, so you you will be, I think Riker put it best, it is pay to accelerate progress. You can progress without it, but if you pay, you will go faster. And that is to an extent a pay to win kind of, mechanic. Um, now I I do have to say it is unreasonable to expect that the game would be entirely free to play and you would never have to pay for anything. Right. I think that we all understand that. Um, but it will rest in how incentivized you are to pay for those things. I think I would be perfectly okay to pay for a battle pass. If I'm playing the game, you know, let's say five hours a week, I'm very fine with paying a five to ten bucks um, battle pass every couple of months or, you know, every every uh, uh, month and a half. I think that's fine. The rest of it, I don't know. Maybe I can play at my own pace, maybe pay for the battle pass, maybe not, um, and be very happy to progress at my own pace and just not care about anyone else, and I will have some satisfying, uh, you know, rewards and gameplay sessions without paying for anything or paying a little tiny bit. That would be cool, and I think that's fair. Um, Maybe it's just going to be so slow that it's going to feel like every time I log in, I can't do anything if I don't pay for whatever Reforged Stone or... Legendary crest or stuff like that, and that wouldn't feel great. So, I guess we'll see how it turns out. Uh, at this stage, it feels like it's going to be a lot of game for free and a lot of fun game for free. Um, and I think a lot of you are going to dive in because, of course, it's a free to play game as I as I mentioned. And there are so many end game systems. There's the Paragon system, which is um, you know, a, a series of four different trees you can invest Paragon points in after you've reached max level. Every time you level, you get an extra point. Um, and you have 400 of those points. So this is you know, very high. And uh, once you reach 400, you're done. However, every once in a while, I don't know when, uh, they're going to increase the number of things you can do by let's say 100 points and that gives a rhythm to the end game it's like an expansion let's say it gives a rhythm to the end game and that also creates an urgency for it if you're in the high-end competitive part of the game Um, if you know that in three months there's going to be another hundred levels to grind through and everything is going to be reset then you have to get to that level very fast and start gearing up and getting that build very fast so that's where i have a little bit of a question about the incentive to pay for money um but again it is super fun i'm very much looking forward to having uh you know special items that that change the way i Play the game, and I've gotten a few of those already, really fun legendaries, and going into a rift for two minutes, or let's say five minutes, and destroying the hordes of hell has been super fun. And uh, I think I'm going to keep playing it. And when it releases, God knows when that's going to be. I think we'll have some news around BlizzCon, because or BlazeCon online um i think the technical alpha is just gonna run for another few days and then after in early 2021 i think they're gonna do a closed beta and once that happens uh it's off to the races because they're gonna keep adding people over every few weeks or months and then it's an open beta and since the game is free to play open beta is launch right so um yeah we'll see but honestly surprisingly compelling as a game And that is going to be it for 2020. So much fun, so much to do, and uh, so much to discuss. And we're going to have so much to discuss in 2021 as well. We're just getting started. I hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please don't be shy about telling me that you do on Twitter or somewhere else. I'm not Patrick. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And, ooh, sorry, It's difficult to speak for that long uh, by yourself without interruption. I do this, these in, in one go, by the way. Did you know that? It's quite an achievement on my part as well. Not just video games, but Patrick podcasting is incredible. Such an achievement of podcasting. Uh, such a mastery of the art. Uh, and <laughs> not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can listen to The Phileas Club, which is a show I do about international topics and uh, people from different parts of the world coming together and discussing stuff. We had a really interesting episode in the past week uh with Tom Merritt, good friend Tom Merritt from the US. Um and we had uh, a couple of other guests from Italy and Kenya. Uh, Paula from uh, Italy and um oh, I'm I'm blanking on his name. Thomas is his last name uh Tomaso. Oh my god. I, this is shameful. How could I forget the name of Alessandro Thomas? Um So Alessandro from Italy. And of course, we talked about everything 2020. It was really fun. It's called The Phileas Club. You can find the links at notpatrick.com as you will also find the links to everything I do over there. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next year. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and happy new year. See you in a few weeks.